Welcome to our newest episode of the Lebanese Physicians uh, Podcast. And uh, today we will be talking about uh, cardiodiagnostics, a initially startup uh, cardiac monitoring uh, technology. Today our guest is, is, is Ziad Sengeri, who is actually the CEO of the company Cardiodiagnostics and the, the person who established it. And uh, Mohamed Ali Jadari makes another appearance uh, with us today. Uh, welcome, Ziad. Welcome, Mohamed Ali. Thank you so much. Uh, so... Uh, just to introduce uh, Ziad, Ziad actually uh, came to the U.S. on a Fulbright scholarship and uh, graduated with uh, a degree in biomedical engineering from uh, Ohio State University and uh, in 2010 and subsequently decided to uh, move back to the Gulf area and to Lebanon, where he uh, established a startup, raised a lot of funds uh, for it, and he has been back in the U.S. now since 2020. And of note, which we'll discuss today, uh, Ziad has also been highlighted by President Obama in 2015 in the White House uh, in regards to his inter- entrepreneurship and his cardiac monitoring technology. So, uh, uh, so Ziad, can you tell us a bit about your uh, journey, starting with, starting at Ohio State with biomedical engineering and how you decided to, uh, to establish a startup company? Sure. Let me go back a few years before my grad school. Um, uh, at the age of 17, I lost my father to a heart attack, and that kind of shaped my passion for what I want to do with life and uh, the kind of calling I want to follow in my career. Um, I joined uh, LAU as a computer and communication engineering student um, at the time, and uh, my final year project was focused on building a system that allows us to monitor cardiac patients outside of hospitals for extended periods of times. And uh, that inspiration led me to pursue graduate studies here in the United States at Ohio State University, where I received my biomedical engineering and uh, another master's in electrical engineering. And my joint topic or my joint thesis was about what we called back in the day, deep neural network design and implementation. Today, they call it AI and machine learning, and there is a whole hype around it. So my uh, research and education was predominantly focused on building um, algorithms that can detect anomalies on physiological signals. Um, My next step after graduating from Ohio State was uh, to take those skills and uh, create a complete prototype uh, for uh, remote cardiac monitoring systems. And I did that through the help of uh, Stars of Science that is uh, funded by Qatar Foundation. Uh, The program allowed me to build the very first prototype where we could actually uh, have a system that collects the EKG of the patient, has my algorithm on it to analyze the EKG and detect anomalies and send it to a remote uh, system staffed by clinicians who could respond to the the anomaly or to the abnormality on the EKG. Uh, today, we have a company uh, of around uh, 50 employees, and uh, we are growing uh, by doubling and tripling every year in the past few years, and uh, this is an area that is extremely hot now in the United States because of the impact of COVID and the need for uh, out-of-hospital technologies to monitor patients long time. So uh, amazing work, uh, Ziad. It's very inspiring, uh, everything that you've been doing. Uh, you're probably the first commercial uh, cardiac telemetry tech company, and you were one of the first uh, companies to go completely cloud-based. And 
Uh, I guess just like you were saying with the COVID pandemic, it just showed us that the future is not the hospital. It's more what they call the home hospital and uh, monitoring patients where they are instead of bringing them uh, to the hospital. Uh, I wanted uh, to ask you a little bit more about your uh, background in engineering. It's something we both share because I also did biomedical engineering at a rival school of yours. I went to University of Michigan uh, in Ann Arbor. So uh, can you maybe tell us a little bit uh, why you went into engineering uh, to begin with and not into the traditional medical school route? And how do you think engineers uh, think differently than MDs and how uh, their approach to problems uh, is different? and how that's helped you with uh, cardiodiagnostics. Uh, thank you, Dr. Muhammad Ali. Uh, the bottom line here is that um, my passion for uh, development was more towards creation and putting systems together. And uh, I definitely needed to get an idea about the science and the physiology and biology behind it. And biomedical engineering was the answer to both of those worlds. I used to take classes with physiology um, professors and uh, uh, pharmacology professors and uh, organ system biology and neuroengineering and all of those hardcore um, medicine type of uh, knowledge that we had to acquire uh, when we studied biomedical engineering. But at the same time, we had to go back to the lab and look at it from an engineering background and how to take that knowledge and convert it into modu uh, uh, modulation or into modeling that into a uh, software or a physical hardware or how to basically build up to the FDA standards that are extremely high and extremely um, important to follow. So that combination of knowledge was ideally uh, provided in a biomedical engineering uh, program. I think... Uh, Different physicians and different engineers will have their own ways of thinking. I, I don't necessarily like to stereotype one category against the other, but my observation is that there are a lot of physicians who are uh, thinkers, problem solvers, who look at the problem in their clinic or in their operating room and think about what if a solution for this problem was created. And... Um, there may or may not have the time and drive to achieve it. I've seen a lot of partnerships between biomedical engineers and physicians going on to translate the problems that physicians have in the clinic into a solution that the market can have in a uh, uh, few years. So the combination of understanding a problem and identifying it through the physician and uh, the ability to build a solution with the technical and engineering know-how that a biomedical engineer have is extremely powerful. Right, because a lot of us physicians, like you have, you have a lot of ideas, but a lot of times you don't know how to translate them into uh, something that works or, or something that's entrepreneurial, I guess. And it's important to have a collaboration with engineers to, to get that done. So just a question for you. So basically you, you finished your, uh, biomedical engineering degree in 2010 and then ended up going to Qatar then Lebanon and uh, so it, I mean uh, somebody somebody else would have said you know what I'll just like go the, the route of like just finding a job and working in a company but you somehow decided that you wanted to uh, be in a startup company and take the risk of doing that so one 
how did you get yourself to take that risk? And number two, can you tell us a bit how you started up the company in Lebanon and uh, and how you started recruiting uh, people and getting funding for it? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, when I graduate, when I graduated uh, from the United States, it was very clear in my mind I wanted to do something that can make an impact in the world, and I could find no other way to do it but to commercialize a clear need for outpatient monitoring into the market. So uh, getting into a startup for me was a no-brainer. It was a natural pull. It was something that um, I I, I couldn't think of anything else at the moment. Um, But uh, the fact is I returned to Lebanon first and uh, I worked in some hospitals uh, to get a grasp of how the system works over there and to share the knowledge, the the specialized knowledge I learned here in the United States. And um, basically, the, the, the concept of starting a company in healthcare in the Middle East was completely out of this world. I, at the time, I didn't know of any medical technology company that was truly creating a hardware and a software and a medical uh, environment. Um, the medical know-how to create that kind of technology was extremely limited. And uh, obviously the prototyping and manufacturing capabilities were almost non-existent. So um, I, I wasn't aware of all the challenges when I uh, left the United States and I decided I'm gonna take the incredible challenge of building something out of the Middle East and Lebanon in particular. But uh, when you're just out of college, uh, you know, the sky's the limit and you don't think of the challenges as showstopper. They become uh, the next uh, burden for you to uh, take on and, and to beat and to get to the success line. Um, in uh, 2012, I got half a million dollar check from Veritech Fund, which I'm very grateful for. They believed in me early on and they decided they're going to invest uh, what was then a substantial amount of money. It was probably one of the biggest uh, very early stage checks that were written in the entire region, not only in Lebanon. And uh, from there, I was able to build a team around the technology and understand a niche in the market that we could serve. Uh, The market at the time was a highly uh, hardware focused So we decided to be the first digital software and algorithm focused technology company in that industry. And that paid dividends because uh, we believe in 2013, we were the very first to bring in the industry, the entire industry here in the United States to the cloud. So we built the cloud-based systems uh, for ECG sensors to collect the EKG and stream it to the cloud. And that was at the time uh, completely new and revolutionary and uh, it has helped impact a lot of lives because clinicians and physicians and providers and technicians could collaborate around the patient in near real time and look at the data and respond to it uh, in near real time. I think it's very admirable how uh, you have the sense of giving back to the community and supporting the local talent. Uh, Maybe if you want to share with us a little bit some Uh, advice or lessons you've learned about technology innovation and uh, building a team uh, in uh, the Middle East uh, and North Africa region? Sure. Um, 
The fact is, there are plenty of talents in the region, but I would call it a raw talent. It's not an experienced talent. It's not uh, necessarily people who have done this a lot before. Uh, in the past, we used to have some good example of people who uh, were trained in Europe or in the United States or in other developed economies and decided to return to their home countries. And those would be great assets, but unfortunately, they're extremely rare to find. Um, the raw talent is in the form of fresh graduates or people who are extremely young, motivated, and when you guide them in the right direction and you give them the right challenges and provide them with the right resources, they usually excel at what they do. So that's kind of the uh, motivation that got me going. I've seen a lot of young men and women join our team and uh, either excel at uh, doing marvelous things within our teams or move on to become our alumni in big companies like uh, Google, Amazon, Facebook, uh, some have pursued their graduate studies in places like Harvard, Stanford, and others. So uh, this is probably a statement to the caliber of people that we get and their potential and the amount of exposure they get when they join a startup like ours. So basically, uh, can you tell us a bit about the company and what you guys are doing at this point and then can you tell us a bit how you were approached to come to the White House for uh, the reception of President Obama? Sure, with pleasure. So the company is a uh, technology company that is today offering an end-to-end -end solution for patients who need to be monitored outside of hospital. So the first line of business we had is an EKG monitoring solution. So we have wearable devices just like this one. This is an FDA approved patch that goes on your skin. It attaches to your skin through an adhesive. So you put the adhesive on, you put it on, and it's streaming data to your mobile phone. So the data is being streamed around the clock to the mobile phone and then to the cloud. And we have a 24 seven monitoring center that is basically reviewing that data and uh, acting upon it. So there are certain protocols they have to follow. Certain physicians have a certain uh, notification requirements for what events, what arrhythmias the patient uh, could experience and when to notify them or when to involve them or what to do in certain cases. We have a lot of patients that experience pauses, pauses that could go from three seconds all the way up to seven or eight seconds. So we actually have clear protocols to intervene in those cases. We um, respond to early onset of atrial fibrillation um, in the uh, unlikely events of uh, more serious conditions, there is a protocol to basically follow. But in most cases, this technology is a diagnostic technology for people with arrhythmias, especially that those that are hard to diagnose and alter. So we provide up to 30 days of continuous cardiac monitoring for those patients in a very non-intrusive way. You've seen how small this device is. Uh, we have other devices as well that um, can do the job. Uh, they stream the data to the cloud and the patient can continue with their, their, their daily routine. They can shower with it. They can uh, practice. They can uh, exercise. They can go to work while they're being monitored by FDA cleared devices. The end goal is to find the arrhythmia they have. And it's ideally best to find that arrhythmia in their natural day-to-day -day environment as opposed to 
carrying a bulkier device that basically uh, limits their mobility and limits their exercise capability. So with our devices, they're going about their life, but we're able to keep an eye on them. That's one line of business. We have another line of business that basically allows us to monitor hypertensive patients, people with diabetes, with heart failure. We send them back home with uh, sensors like uh, blood pressure sensors, SpO2 and weight scale sensors. And we have our staffs that are engaging them. The data is always getting from the sensor to the mobile app, to the cloud. And the clinicians, both at the hospital and clinic that service the patient or at our monitoring center have different roles to engage the patient and make sure that they are monitoring their vital signs. And those RPM solutions, remote patient monitoring solutions are designed or are encouraged by the government payers here in the United States because there has been clear clinical evidence that when a patient is engaged in their condition, when they're being monitored, the probability of their mortality and morbidity declines and the readmissions, their hospital readmission goes down. So those solutions are contributing directly to improving the outcomes and reducing the cost on the hospital systems and government payers. Uh, in 2015, we were the very first company that created a cloud-based cardiac monitoring system in the industry, and we had launched it. And uh, we've done a quite an outstanding job in the work and the impact that that had. So the word reached the White House and they invited me in 2015 for a recognition where I met President Obama and Vice President Biden at the time. And uh, we had great discussions about entrepreneurship and the impact of technology on not only economies, but also individuals all around the world. Very, very exciting stuff. And it's, it's great uh, to see someone from Lebanon uh, being a leader and innovating. Uh, it's such an exciting time for the field of wearables. Where, where do you see the future? Where do you think uh, we're headed? If you can give us uh, some of your insight, maybe. Absolutely. Uh, that's, an, that's an area I'm personally very excited about. Uh, I, I presume you know that those uh, Apple Watches, the new Apple Watches are actual medical devices, 510K cleared medical devices. So the world is going more and more into blurring that line between what is lifestyle, what is consumer-based, and what is purely medical. And with that, I see more and more wearable that are, um, that are packed with sensors, packed with medical sensors. I'm personally mostly excited about those wearables that are able to non-invasively measure blood pressure. And there are a couple of them that have CE marking, and I'm hoping they would get into the FDA approval process soon as well. That is totally game-changing in the world. When you are able to measure those vital signs in real time, when you're able to keep an eye on the fluctuations of your blood sugar in real time, on your blood pressure in real time. That's totally unprecedented. And I'm not talking about patients. I'm talking about the regular individual like me and you who are not necessarily diabetic or not necessarily hypertensive, but they would benefit a lot from learning how the environmental stimuli around them would impact their blood sugar or they, their blood pressure. 
And uh, our company is experimenting with a lot of these things. And we believe that we will be creating technologies, not for the sick, but for the healthy and young to prevent them from getting sick and to help them learn and understand their bodies and the impact of external stimuli on their bodies. I think it's just very exciting uh, hearing you talk about prevention and just the scale of things. I mean, you were talking about the Apple uh, Watch, and I think uh, the study included more than uh, 40,000 participants. Just the scale of things and the amount of data available, it's, it's unmatched. And the biggest studies we have in medicine uh, before this digital age, if, if you got a few thousand people, it was a good study. Uh, just the scale of things, being able to monitor uh, 400,000 people in real time and get all that data. There's, there's so much uh, we can do. And uh, it's exciting that you're back in the U.S. right now and uh, ahead of this exponential growth and this explosion of uh, wearables and uh, technology. Yeah, and I, I actually think that we're only scratching the surface here, Hamad Ali and Khalil. I think the possibilities are enormous. Um, I, look, I look at this phase of our history as humans as the dark age of healthcare and medicine, believe it or not, with all the technological advancement we have and with all that we have accomplished, I still think that it's very difficult for us as humans to look inside our bodies. It's very difficult for me to uh, bump into a regular person in the streets and ask them about the impact of tiramisu on their blood sugar uh, on, on, on a weekend. They probably don't understand that. And there, there weren't this technology or the sensors to enable a revolution. And I think this is changing today. And I think the opportunities it opens is enormous. And we will be able to understand our bodies a lot more in the near future, not as patients, but as regular, healthy individuals who want to remain healthy, extend their longevity, and avoid uh, detrimental diseases early on in their lives. To give an idea of the scope of your company, so how many countries are you spread in right now? Are you involved in at this point? Uh, that's the number one question. Number two question is where do you see healthcare heading in the future? Sure. Um, so we have uh, distributors and uh, sales operations in 17 different markets, uh, mostly around the Middle East, Europe, and the United States. The United States continues to be our single biggest and most important markets, and that's where most of our resources are dedicated. Um, our ability to scale has been greatly improved, especially after the pandemic. A lot of things have changed after the pandemic, and in my opinion, a lot of them are positive. Working from home and being productive while working from home is um, a phenomenon that allowed us to tap into talent from all around the world, not specifically tied to an office space and the vicinity of that office. So instead of looking at a city with 2 million population that you can tap into their talent, now we can probably look at 1 billion pool of talent because you can hire from a much uh, broader geography around the world. Um, the, the future of healthcare, in my opinion, is predominantly centered around person's ability to understand their bodies and take better actionable decisions when they understand their bodies. 
And I think today we don't have the tools to do that. We don't have the tools to provide an average user with the information they need to put everything together in one place and make actionable uh, decisions that allow them to live longer and healthier life. For example, I, I run a lot by the problem that a lot of people complain about how uh, restricted and limited the healthcare system is. Doctors are overwhelmed. Uh, they have a lot of patients and patients do not get sufficient access to the, to the doctor to answer all their questions in, in detail. My answer to that is that the patient is their own expert. There's nobody on the planet that knows your own body more than you. You spend 24 hours a day in that body, 365 days into that body. You know the ins and outs. It's very hard for you to get a detailed insight into how that body uh, operates from simply relying on a 10 to 15 minute regular visit to the physician. So in my opinion, we need to empower the patient, engage the patient, activate their ability to understand their bodies better, utilize the technology and sensors that is out there to make better sense of our bodies and run the new revolutions of AI to better understand this data and create classifications into what's happening. And that empowerment will show you that the healthcare of the future is a completely different type of healthcare where people are enlightened, they're engaged, they can ask smarter questions to their physicians, they can spend better quality time with their physicians, and they can come prepared with the data that the physicians need more accurately given the breadth of the technology. Very exciting stuff as we move uh, from the traditional healthcare system that has really changed much in the past 50 years towards uh, building the quantified self and getting all the different data points from the wearables and sensors. And just like you said, uh, just uh, advancing uh, the doctor-patient uh, relationship and not waiting for the disease to happen, but preventing it even before it happens and even before the doctor or the person uh, themselves know. Uh, what's happening. Very exciting stuff. Uh, before we conclude, I just want to ask you uh, about the role of coaching and mentorship in your personal journey. I know uh, it's something you've been very involved with, beginning with the stars of science and then how you're involved with the entrepreneurship club uh, back in Tripoli. And uh, if you want to maybe talk to us a little bit more about that aspect of uh, in your journey and your growth. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a strong advocate of mentorship and uh, uh, training because I believe coaching and mentorship make a big difference in people's lives. And I think we fell into the trap of overhyping certain concepts in the Middle East, like startups, like the typical entrepreneur who graduates out of college and uh, makes it into the next Facebook or next Microsoft. And uh, I believe those models are only possible when the right ecosystem of support, training, coaching, and mentorship exists. And I think this culture still doesn't resonate well in Lebanon, and it doesn't exist on a mature level in the Middle East. And I'm hoping that this is going to change in the future. So um, I've, I've seen a lot of people who have a lot of energy and a lot of excitement and would have probably succeeded big time in other environments completely fair, fail in our societies. And I think the reason is they were not provided with the right mentorship, coaching, and support that they need. Here in the United States, when you're fresh out of college, you probably 
like anybody else around the world, you don't know how to hire, you don't know how to run a company, how to structure departments, how to raise funds, how to do all of that. But when you start getting involved with the ecosystem, you hire mentors, you get a VC, they become advisors, they become operational coaches, and they help you through the journey of success. We still don't have that on a broad level in the Middle East and in Lebanon, but I think it's coming. And that's why I've made it a personal, a personal mission. Whenever somebody asks me for mentorship or coaching, and I see that they are promising and willing to put the extra effort and take the extra mile to get to the line of success, I put a lot of my time trying to help such individuals succeed because I believe that this is something I needed. It wasn't easy for me to access and it made a big difference when I was able to find the right mentors in my life. Yeah, now that you moved to the Bay Area and obviously it's your company is growing exponentially since uh, being more involved in the U.S. market. Uh, are you, how, how will you continue your involvement in, in Lebanon uh, currently and uh, in the future? Sure. We, we have a substantial team in Lebanon. We have around uh, more than 20 people, actually. And we are expecting that number, to, that number to double and triple in the coming month. So we continue to hire talent out of Lebanon and out of any market out that there are sufficient talent who are ready to join us on our mission to change lives. Uh, I believe that my commitment to Lebanon is uh, not going to change whatever I am in the world. Uh, that's part of my personal drive to impact um, communities that uh, need to be empowered, uh, communities that are not as lucky as uh, other developed uh, economies. And that's probably my uh, legacy that I'd like to make a difference in. So I'd like to help in hiring and transferring uh, knowledge and upgrading the talent and giving people world-class opportunities difference. So, uh, Whoever is uh, listening to this podcast now, please look up cardiodiagnostics and apply. We'll probably have 10 or 15 uh, job openings available at any point in time. Very exciting stuff. Uh, I think this is a good point to end our talk today. Uh, we'll give you the floor for any final words uh, you want to share with our listeners. I have two points to leave. Uh, the listeners with. One of them we, we touched on before we started this uh, discussion with, with you, Khalil, and with you, uh, Muhammad Ali. It's about the fact that um, the grass could be sometimes greener on the other side. A lot of people in Lebanon, I hear them complaining, they want to leave. And when I talk to people who are outside of Lebanon, I hear them saying, I have enjoyed a, a wonderful time in Lebanon and I wish I could stay and stay much longer. Um, and, and, and that calls me to remind everyone that it's not always greener on the other side. And uh, if you have the ability to live in Lebanon and make a decent living and uh, basically uh, promote your career, and the opportunities are numerous in this post-COVID environment, there are a lot of companies hiring remotely. Not only us, there are uh, dozens of American, European, and either an Asian or Middle Eastern companies that are hiring remotely. So the opportunities are there. They are enormous. If you get a good opportunity, you can promote your career. You can make a decent living. Enjoy what you have. Don't focus on the negative. 
and make sure that you are seeing the positive side of the situation. Um, the other idea is that you as an individual have to pursue your dreams, whatever they are. We should never rely on external factors and blame them for our lack of succeeding at what we want. We should keep trying because you never fail until you stop trying. With that, I wanna conclude and I wanna thank both of you for the time on this uh, and the opportunity to be on this podcast. And I wish you the best of luck. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Ziad, for being on the, on the podcast. And uh, thank you for highlighting uh, the general principles that are needed for entrepreneurship and also for highlighting, I guess, the future of medicine, because I think I think in the next decade or so, medicine is going to change from the way it is right now for sure. And uh, and your company probably is one of the first companies on the cutting edge of, of that change that's happening right now. Thank you. I really enjoyed the talking to you, Ziad, and wish you all the best uh, with everything that you do. Thank you. I enjoyed this talk as well.